0: Hey listeners, welcome to the Alma Bay Spotlights podcast. I'm your host Kalyan, and on this show, I will interview a diverse set of alumni relations and fundraising professionals that work at institutions of all types and sizes, not just the large popular ones you'll hear from at conferences. My aim is to bring people whose stories are more relatable so that their ideas are more actionable for you. This week, I'm gonna be talking to Carolyn Russell, director of the annual fund at Greenwich Academy, an independent school for girls in Greenwich, Connecticut. We go into the details of where she grew up, why she chose to go to University of Massachusetts and then Boston University, her experiences there and how they led to her career in alumni relations and fundraising. We also talk about exactly how they have adapted their alumni engagement strategy since the pandemic. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Carolyn, thank you so much for joining me on the Alma-Base Spotlights podcast. I'm thrilled to speak with you and learn from you today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on the podcast today.
0: Likewise. I'd like to start from the beginning of your journey. Um, you know, So can you tell our listeners where you were born and raised? Where did you go to school?
1: Sure. Um, I was born in New York City. I grew up in Rye, New York, a suburb just outside of New York and went to school at Rye Country Day, um, obviously in Rye, New York, um, where my mom also taught kindergarten. So sort of full circle that I'm now working at a school with my kids at the same school, but um, <laughs> Rye was a great place to grow up and Rye Country Day was a phenomenal school and now has a great alum program and you know, I appreciate being part of their community while I'm also part of the Greenwich Academy community. That's
0: interesting. Um, Have you have you learned any interesting ideas from being an alum at that school that you use at uh, Greenwich now?
1: I I do. And I'm actually friends and sort of longtime friends with their alum director. So we share ideas and and catch up and chase. You know, she chases me down for my gift and I always give it. (laughs) But I like to wait until June to make my gifts so I can see what other schools do, um, which is probably really bad (laughs) as a director of annual fund. But then you get all the materials and the emails that other people are doing.
0: That's smart. Uh, So I see that I think then, um, you know, you went to University of Massachusetts um, for your bachelor's degree. So how did you pick that school and how was your experience uh, at University of Massachusetts?
1: So I actually started um, at a small school in Virginia, Lynchburg College. Um, I went there to be on their equestrian team. And after two years there, I decided I needed something larger and closer to home. And my mom had just moved to Massachusetts, so I was able to go in-state to UMass. And really one of the best decisions I ever made that such a large school with, um, you know, big athletic events and a big school population, lots going on all the time. And I was part of a sorority so that, you know, I had a core group of friends um, from the start so I could go to a big school, but be just right into a community. And really enjoyed my time at UMass, and then because I love being in school so much, decided after working for a year to go back to school to get my master's in social work at Boston University. Um, yeah,
0: I'd love to dive into that. But before that, you know, I'm I'm really curious. Like when you picked such a large, you know, public university, um, you know, how how do you feel differently about that compared to kind of the experience at let's say a let's say a Rye right Country Day as as an independent school, possibly very small independent school as well, right?
1: Um, for that transition, I definitely needed two years at a small college to sort of, um, Mm -hmm. get my bearings and get the experience of being independent, um, and at a school. So, I mean, being at a school like Right Country Day. It's you've got faculty with you all the time supporting you and helping you get get through every day, and obviously living at home with your family, they're there to support you, but then going off to school, you're independent and so many new things to do so um having two years at a small school helped, and then transitioning to a larger university, I was definitely ready and looking for that, but also had the organizational skills and the independence, but also able to sort of keep myself on track by then, so going to a large school, I was still able to you know, go to my classes and stay on track with my studies um, and also have fun at the same time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, Were you a part of the athletics at UMass as well?
1: I was not. Um, By then I just decided to focus on studies. I did a lot of field work. Um, I did some teaching. So just really wanted to focus on my future at that point.
0: Yeah. Got it. And then, so like you like you were mentioning, you then went on to uh, Boston University to get a master's degree in social work and fundraising. That's interesting. So how did that happen? How did you pick fundraising and social work?
1: So Boston University has a really cool program where they have the clinical side of social work, but also the macro side, looking at community organization, um, race and racism. And fundraising and nonprofit management. So I decided after probably six months of taking, you have to take intro to macro social work. So after taking a couple of classes, studying the macro side, um, which was completely new to me, I didn't even know it existed, um, decided that that's really wanted to focus my time. And in field work there, I was working at um, a small social work therapy office and decided that, um, you know, just watching their struggle with funds and funding and helping people in the community. There was such a need for proper management of small organizations and fundraising. So that's when I switched over to the macro side and decided to focus on getting my certificate in nonprofit management and also a a certificate in fundraising. So I could help organizations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting how, uh, you know, a lot of people in alumni relations and fundraising don't necessarily study Alumni relations, obviously, you can't study that in college, or, or even fundraising for that matter. So it's interesting that you know you've had that education uh, before you got into your professional world. Do you feel like um, that has helped you in your career? The education that you received at uh, Boston University.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I took classes in how to write a grant. I took classes in how to fundraise, and obviously, so much of the profession has changed since then. But having that foundation and that knowledge base and and sort of understanding the give and take of fundraising and the importance of donor relations and staying on top of um, just engaging with people that you can sort of stay, stay up to date and, and keep going with whatever, whatever new comes down the pike to, you know, use as a tool for fundraising. Um, and for me, it's really fundraising comes second. It's the relationships that come first. And I think a social work degree is perfect for that.
0: Yeah. Relationships come first. I think I should just frame that, uh, <laughs> you know, during this episode, <laughs> you know, because I mean, what you said is interesting also because the fundamentals of fundraising and relationship building remain the same, even though the tools and techniques might change over a period of time.
1: Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so as you were graduating out of uh, Boston university, what were you thinking and how were you thinking about your career uh, how did you get into alumni relations and fundraising?
1: Um, so when I graduated from BU, I was also newly engaged in planning a wedding. So um, the focus nice. was more about where I was going to live. So I moved from Boston back down to um, Greenwich, Connecticut, right New York area, and found a job at Kids in Crisis in Greenwich. Um, and it's a organization that focuses on Children who are at risk, um, who may be runaway or um, just had to leave their home for a temporary or full time. So worked in their development office and saw firsthand what it was like to be in a small organization that you know, was serving the community, doing events, doing direct mail. And it was very grassroots. So if there was a mailing, I was doing it from start to finish. Um, I managed the database, and that's really really dove into data management and working with Blackbaud. Um, and just really enjoyed my time there, and then um circumstances changed, and I needed to make a change. so I worked with my father in law for a little bit in sales and marketing, and that really offered um a really good experience for fundraising um you know you're still selling, you're still telling a story, you're still making relationships with people in the community, so I did that for a couple of years and then was able to go back to the nonprofit world and worked at a com- an organization called, um, ableist, which helps people with special needs and did fundraising there and eventually worked up to being the director of development. And after that decided that I really was drawn to the school, a school community, sort of the rhythm of the calendar at a school and, and wanted to be within a school. So was able to get a job at, um, Convent of Sacred Heart in Greenwich, another school, and was the director of annual fund there. And after being there for a year, got a job at Greenwich Academy and I've been there for 13 years.
0: Yeah, it's a long stint at uh, Greenwich Academy, (laughs) but I guess having your kids there is a bonus. Oh, it's a huge
1: bonus. And it's a a fantastic community in our whole office. We've all been there for, um, you know, I've been there for 13. We just had a bunch of team members celebrate 15 years. And we're just we call we call ourselves the work wives. We're just really close knit. We're friends, and and you know relationships start within our office and and go from there. And if you're happy with your team, you're going to be happy in the work that you do. So we're very lucky.
0: Yeah, absolutely. To be honest, I don't see a lot of the uh, the younger people in alumni relations and and fundraising actually spending more than like three four years at any institution, and then you know constantly moving. So it's always fascinating to see uh, that you've been here uh, for so long.
1: Yeah. it's it's a good place to be and the bonus is having your kids being able to pop by your office when when I used to work in my office um before covid but it's it's a treat to have them and see them and watch them grow and watch my colleagues kids grow and um you know it seems like we all started yesterday and our kids were babies and now I've got one graduating high school and one becoming a junior so it's time flies and you're having fun.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely growing fast. I mean, I have a I have a one and a half year old kid now. And yeah, it just seems like yesterday that she was born, but now uh she's already 18 months old. Uh (laughs) Yeah,
1: it goes by really fast. That's all I can say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, I mean, you've now you're the director of of the annual fund, I'm sorry, at Greenwich Academy. So, you know, in this current role as the director of annual fund, what are your top priorities at the moment?
1: Ooh, top priorities at the moment. That's a loaded question. Um, it's always to build community and increase engagement. Um, and after that, I'd say it, it's really staying up to date in how we communicate. And that has changed so much in the last 13 years since starting at Greenwich Academy. You know, I, when I started, it was all mail based. We rarely, we, I don't think we even emailed for gifts. And then we eventually started sending emails for gifts and that was sort of scary. And then social media came along and, you know, it was, a real push to allow us to communicate via Facebook and have a Facebook account for our alums and then add Instagram. And just looking back, like now it's just, it's another language we speak back then. It was so scary. Um, you know, how are we going to keep up with it? How are we going to keep going? Um, so, and being with that, like just being innovative and having fun, if we're not having fun, we're not going to want to do our job and it's going to show when we talk to people. And if, if we're doing our job right and having fun, then it just sort of, it it flows. and you're having real conversations with people and real relationships and getting to know our alums and our community and and with that the engagement comes in and then your fundraising is successful, knock on wood.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, the key there is adaptability, right? And and I think the the kind of adaptability we've seen in this space, especially over the last twelve months when you know everything's sort of flipped over and everybody has to rethink from the fundamentals it's really showed how adaptable we all are. And I think, like you said, if we're having fun, if we really understand the community, then, you know, we'll figure out the tools and techniques to get there. Right, right.
1: And we still have, you know, we have alums and parents who prefer to, you know, make a phone call instead of send an email. Um, We have alums that will send handwritten notes. But then at the same time, we have one class who, you know, we thought, oh, you know, good for them. They're doing a great job this year, but then they went and did a virtual 5k completely on their own just because they were inspired by um, a webinar that we did for our alumni. So it's when you hear stories like that, it makes you like, oh, okay, we're doing something right. Let's keep going.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I think activating different uh, groups of your alumni requires different kinds of thinking, right? Like you said, it's not just one huge population of alumni, but really, like, you know, really thinking through Different portions of your alumni and what their needs are, and what motivates them, and what gets them engaged. Right, right. Yeah, and and just for the audience to get a sense of the size of the community, could you give us some numbers on how many alumni, uh, what kind of alumni participation do you see currently, etc.?
1: So, for our active alums right now, um, we have two thousand six hundred and sixty-two, and that's a number based on how many alumni want to be contacted, that want to be solicited, that want mail. Um so we take do not solicit people out of that base number. Um mm-hmm. and with that number right now we have over 580 alum gifts. We're at 22% participation. Um compared to last year where at this time we just had 460 gifts at 17% participation. So right now our alumni participation is strong. Um and it's going well so far, and our alums have just really been rallying around GA and, and the school and the, and the girls at school right now just because it's such an odd experience for them. Um, and I think, you know, speaking for our alums, that, that they're pretty impressed with how Greenwich Academy is managing the COVID-19 crisis right now and, and our response to it. And our leadership team has just done a phenomenal job um, in, their, in their support of the girls and the faculty.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously, 22% is is pretty strong. And, you know, we've got a few months to go. So, you know, I really hope you touch that 25%. Uh, We're hoping for 39%. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I love uh, ambitious goals. So that's nice. And, you know, I, I've really always admired uh, your ability to come up with new ideas and, you know, really innovate and adapt to what's going on. I'd love to hear what you think are some of your best ideas. What what has worked well over the last 12 months, um, you know, since the pandemic?
1: <laughs> it's funny because it's like, what, a year ago, we were just sort of going into lockdown and I had no idea what was ahead. Um, but, you know, looking back, our team just shifted gears. You know, we all went home and we had our first Zoom call and it was funny. And we sat there and looked at each other. And now that's second nature. Um, but we just rolled with it. and if there was a need, we, we answered the call. So I think the first, the first call was, you know, we have to communicate to our entire community. We had communications going out to parents, but nothing was going immediately to our alums and to our parents of alumni and grandparents. And, you know, everyone was home and sort of looking for information. And we had grandparents writing us to ask, you know, what's going on with the school? What's, what's the update? And all of our communication was really sort of behind a password just for our parents. So we decided to make a community page um, using AlmaBase and had all of our information to share with our alumni, our parents of alumni and grandparents and parents as well. And it had all of our weekly updates from our head of school. It had, um, you know, what faculty were doing in response, if they're helping the community, if kids were helping in the community, if our alumni, um, our health workers, what they were going through there's was just a place for people to virtually go and and have this information and also be able to connect with us. Um, and so Almaty all of a sudden became this amazing tool for us and our alums and, and, and our parents and parents of alums. Um, so after that, we had our communication going, and that was very helpful in engaging people and keeping them connected with the school. Um, and then we had this reunion, and... Clearly, we weren't coming out of lockdown, so we had to figure out something to do for a reunion. And our alums were really looking for something to do as well. They wanted an event. They wanted to get together. So we had our first virtual reunion, and um, our teammates had a great idea to do virtual reunion t-shirts, and we had this great Zoom, and we already had um, our distinguished alum, Radika Jones of Vanity Fair, and she agreed to do an interview um, with another alumna, and they hopped on a zoom and we recorded them doing an interview and then had a question and answer, um, sort of cocktail party that for the evening session. And then we had what we called the gappy hour where people broke up into different rooms. Um, and people just had a great time and we were sort of swishing back and forth between rooms and, um, engaging with people in smaller groups. And we had trivia games and, um, our director of law, Megan, she moderated the whole thing and just, she's just become our moderator of all time. And we had fun with it. We were scared to death going into it because of just the tech and, and, you know, would we have strong enough Wi Fi to do this? And we were doing it from our homes. And, but we got through our first virtual reunion and had a blast and we're planning another one. And then I, after that, we came off a of virtual reunion and had our annual fund appreciation event. In two and a half weeks, we planned, um, basically a show based off some good news. Um, We had some pre-recorded segments um, and some live segments. And we had Laura Spencer from ABC, um, Good Morning America, as our host. And she introduced each segment. And it was different people in the community who came up and either, you know, did a TikTok skit or um, we had uh, my director of alum, Megan, and her band. They did a recording for a song and we had you know happy pictures and sort of updates as to what was going on um so it was a complete blast it was one of the scariest moments of my life going live for that night um <laughs> it was it was fabulous and we had a giving challenge around it so while i'm <laughs> sort of running the live portion with um we we brought in a production team and i'm running with that and you know have have them in my ear and i'm watching gifts come in and it was just so exciting and um you know, it was just a really nice moment for our team to get through that. And, you know, the whole community rallied around it. And so to, to go out and thank people that helped us, um, we delivered pizzas. And for some reason, I thought I'd wear a shark costume while I delivered pizzas to our faculty that helped us. <laughs> but I love you know, just that piece of having fun. And then over the summer, we decided that we were just going to keep going with it. So we decided that we would do a podcast for our alums. And So we launched the Top of the Hill, or sorry, no, was it? Meet at the Circle or See You at the Top of the Circle um, for our alums. And we did a podcast and that was great. It's Megan and Jocelyn and they sort of discussed issues and they interviewed um, two student leaders right around the election time to talk about, you know, why they look to be leaders. Um, So that was a hit and we look forward to doing more of those. And then we've had our, you know, school came back to session back in the fall but we still couldn't have events. So we had to figure out what to do for our annual dinner. And we did another virtual part live, part pre-recorded um, annual dinner event. And we were able to use, uh, and within our brand new, like completely brand new building for the lower school, we were able to use uh what we call the gathering stair in there and sort of feature this awesome live Moss wall for the backdrop and, we had our speakers and we had some videos um, and head of school spoke and we just had to push it a little further. So we did a cold open, uh, like, like you would see in Saturday night live for their opening sketch. So we had a little sketch before we went into the live portion and it, you know, we had fun and we had board members having fun and the head of school and the gator was there. So um, just one big party,
0: one big party.
1: <laughs> um, so that was another moment. Uh, and we just, you know, we took these, virtual events and just had fun with them and, and did the best that we could and luckily we used a company called Flypack and they were just complete professionals that were able to stream in the live and the recorded and make it look like a really nice nice production and then <laughs> it's been a long year but after that we had our phonathon but we couldn't have a phonathon so Instead with on the base um, and the giving pages, we launched a, a giving day instead of our phonathon And that was when we really saw the effect of the giving pages within all the base because we had our volunteers step in and they could see, you know, their reach that they had and getting people on the leaderboard and using that as a tool in addition to the other tools that we have. So in addition to email and social media and, we also do a lot of texting yeah, through text. So we had a great giving day back in October. And I mean, just, I like this little chart that we have and it shows just a skyrocket month for us in October because of that giving day. And it was, you know, we doubled what we would normally do on a phone a And then heading into... February we had a show your love show GA your love giving days and we did two days of giving unfortunately those two days of giving were also hit with two days of snow and snow days which were virtual learning so that presented some challenges you know it's hard to call parents and ask for money when they're teaching their kid math in the morning so we sort of let our second day of giving go a little bit more gently and then just kept it open through the weekend. And by Saturday we hit our goal. So you know, it's, I think also the importance of being responsive to your donors and your base and what's, what's going on on their end and who you're calling at what point. And I, I reached out to a volunteer to see if she could connect with her class. And she said, I don't think so. It's, it's a parent teaching day and it, you know, they weren't, they weren't, the kids weren't on Zoom for that class. And the parents were actually working through worksheets in a packet with the kids. So I think everyone was kind of at the end of a long week, but we still hit our goal. And we had, um during those two giving days, we had a lot of parents sort of raise their hands to volunteer by, you know, clicking the private link dashboard after making their own gift in AlmaBase. So we were able to grow our volunteer base as in addition to growing our participation in our annual fund and going into those two giving days we were lagging behind compared to last year for our annual fund and now we're ahead so that that added a huge boost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I really loved how you sort of you know implemented a lot of these ideas to boost participation at your giving day. Can you share some numbers on on what you saw during those uh, few days of giving?
1: Um so the last two days of giving in February we had over 100 alum gifts in two days. We had over 200 gifts in total. And because of that, we're now at 5% in alum participation. And like I said, we were heading into those two giving days, lagging behind in dollars for our annual fund, but now we're ahead. Um, So that's just incredible. Um, And also our donor retention is way above where it usually is. It's I want to say over 70 people have retained over 70 donors, um, you know, brought them back into the fold after not giving last year.
0: Wow. Wow. Incredible indeed. (laughs) If you could, uh, and maybe this is hard, but like behind the success of your giving day campaign, was there one or two things that you think would be useful for the audience here to learn in terms of things that you did that really, uh, you know, acted as a catalyst for the success behind uh, these days of giving?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the the most fun part and I think useful part was Rohit's idea of having people write in, you know, what they love about GA because it was all about, you know, it was right after Valentine's Day and it was about showing GA your love and what, what did people love about GA? So we added a form in for people to say what they loved and they could also upload a picture and they could share that with us. So when we imported that into Razor's Edge, we could then print out a spreadsheet showing what everybody loved about GA. And I was shocked to see how many people actually wrote in. And what was really special was all the messages that we could then share with the community. So we turned those into social media posts. We added them into as quotes for emails that were going out and, you know, just added an element of connection and community and engagement and real sentiment, not just me writing something to send out, but this is what actual people are saying about the school and their love for the school and how appreciative they are of the faculty and, you know, who's making their child smile every day. And, you know, the appreciation to the COVID response team at school that's kept us in school since day one, every day in-person learning, which is not many schools are doing that. So people really wrote some nice notes and it was really special to share those notes. And it's nice to have those, um, you know, for everybody to look at and sort of remind themselves of why we're here and why we're working so hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think getting your community to, you know, to um, talk about these things and then using that for your social media is always like way more effective than, you know, whatever content you produce about the school or, you know, the ones that you could write by yourself. right? Right. Right. Um, so I love that. Um, I'll switch gears a little bit here. Um, what would you say are your biggest challenges at the moment in your role?
1: Um, I mean, right now COVID-19 has definitely given us our fair share of challenges. Um, but I think we've also been very lucky to be at a school that we're at and with the team that we have and the, you know, the, all of the faculty and administration, um, just coming together, working together and, figuring out solutions, um, to every challenge. And even if it's not perfect, it's getting us through to the next day. Another huge challenge right now is working remotely. I really miss my team (laughs) and, you know, we zoom on, you know, every other day, but I just miss being together and miss being around our big alum table in the alumni office and talking and hashing out ideas and just, you know, the silliness that goes on and the fun that happens. And, just miss that. Celebrating each other's birthdays in person and having our you know usual cheese board and cake and, you know, having lunch together every day. Miss that too. I miss seeing the faculty and the kids. It's just there's something about the energy when you go to campus and when you're on campus that you just appreciate so much more now because you don't have it when you work remotely. Um, so hopefully now that I've had one vaccine, I'll get the second one and I'll be back on campus. Um... Oh, congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you. Very exciting. <laughs> um and then i think the other is you know donor fatigue and just just fatigue especially now if people are getting tired of being on zoom so do you push another event virtually and do a zoom or you know what do you do to to sort of bypass that fatigue and are we asking our, our parents for too much are we asking our moms for too much and you know just walking that fine line and i think this year especially how much can we ask and how much can we push and I know. Last June, I was just spent, and I I couldn't ask anymore. So I just I, I stepped away, and I said the annual fund is where it's at, and that's where it's going to stay. And we I can't push anymore. Um, mm. I think it's a little better now. I think there's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel feeling now, and and hopefully we'll have a stronger spring. But you know, it, it looks like it looks like our future is brighter.
0: So I'm hoping that absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that let's hope is. we can <laughs> all yeah. Let's hope we can all go back to our offices and campuses as Great. soon as possible. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I can't wait for that to happen. Uh, So I'll end with, with, I guess, what I'll call the famous three, Uh, three questions to end. What's a book that you would recommend to your peers in alumni relations and fundraising?
1: (laughs) I'm laughing because I have like a stack of books on my bedside table. (laughs) (laughs) And I keep going to bookstores and buying books, but I haven't like finished one. Um <laughs> just I mean it's just been like a year of Netflix Hulu and now HBO Max. Um <laughs> yeah. so let's see. Um I just I've lacked a bandwidth stick with a book. Um I did I cracked the Obama book, but haven't gotten past chapter three. It's been a deep dive into probably Netflix. Um and last spring my daughter and I really did a deep dive on race and racism. And she introduced me to the the movie. So I don't have a book, but I'm going to tell you a movie, um, the hate mm-hmm. you give. And our family watched it and it was just eye opening. Um, and, and just seeing life through a different lens. And that movie just really resonated with me and my family. So I I really enjoyed that with my daughter, um, and my family. And then beyond that, it's just been a lot of, you know, light stuff on netflix and hulu as a family and, and watching movies a lot of marvel a lot of star wars um yeah. we've been watching wandavision but i am i'm looking forward to reading again and sort of having the space within my brain to to sit down with a book and thinking somewhere on the beach that's going to be my time <laughs> and i'll get back <laughs> to you. I'll, when i have a good book i'll share it
0: <laughs> absolutely but you've given me a movie to watch for the weekend so that's going to go on my watch list um second question, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, if you could go back and okay, do things, go back. <laughs> <would> you? <laughs> um,
1: you know, it's funny because I feel like I'm giving that advice to my almost 18-year-old son right now. Um, and it's really about going after your dreams, even if it means stepping out of your comfort zone and, you know, extending a hand. Or you can't really extend a hand to shake, but um, just just putting yourself out there and being brave. And he's like me, very, you know, he was very shy in high school, but had to give a senior voice and which is where you stand up in front of the school and you talk about something important to you. And he, he did it and I saw the recording and it was just a moment in time of, wow, you know, who is this person? And then, you know, he, he feels like, and I think I did back then that you have to have life figured out that you're 18, 19, 20, and you have to know exactly where you're going. You have to know what your future is, what your plans are, And you don't have to know that, you know, (laughs) the future is long and there are so many different opportunities in front of you. And I just think that had I known that and understood that I would have, I would have probably done things differently. I really felt like I was rushing into a career and luckily I landed in a a great spot, but things change. And that's, that's the beauty of life. And it's, it's how you adapt to that, that builds who you are. And the third thing is gratitude. Just be grateful, grateful who you are, where you came from and the people who get you there. And and I think this past year we've spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about gratitude and what we can be grateful for.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. I mean, I, I remember reading a book um, a few months ago called Reboot, uh, where the author talks about the pathless path, right? Because all of us think that you know we're the only person that you know is, is wavering around without a clear path, but like you know that's the universal truth. And like you know, there there isn't a clear path for anyone, right? So he defines this. Uh, interesting idea called pathless path. And that's the way you should look at your life. So, you know, I resonate a lot with the advice that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, the last question then is, what's your favorite resource or software tool that helps you with your job right now?
1: I mean, it's obviously <laughs> Um No, but on all seriousness, the the best software tool right now, I'd have to say, is AlmaBase. I mean, you all it's not even about the tool. It's about, I think, the people behind it and having the responsiveness of you and, and Rohit and your team and just always being there to answer questions and and getting us through our giving days and, and helping us navigate and giving us good advice and making changes when we ask for them. I think that's, you know, if we did not have Alma in this last year, I don't know what we would have done because it's been an incredible tool. And, you know, on the other side, which I didn't even talk about, is our Career Resource Center, which is housed on Alma Base. And that is, they're so busy. Um, Our Career Resource team is so busy. It is amazing. Um, We have a lot of parent mentors, alum mentors, alumni and students who are getting internships and jobs. and, And Alma Base fuels that, and you all fuel that. So we're very grateful and appreciative to you and your team from the smallest things to change in the url for us so it could be a, an inclusive community for our parents and now our parents are using it so it's really been helpful and you know our giving days are, are just proof that it 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 works
0: i must mention i did not pay carolyn to say that <laughs> <laughs> but with that i think we will we'll call that a wrap uh, you know really awesome chatting with you carolyn as always thanks so I'm much for you. taking the time and and have a good one then
1: thanks you too